today on It's Time. God can change you. I got some great news for you here today. God is the master changer. He can fix that. I hear the calling. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Philemon, so turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. Open them to the book of Philemon. And this is an interesting book because it is the shortest book in the New Testament, yet it contains everything about Christianity that we've come to know and love. And this is one of the things that I believe as we really look at this book, you're going to find out that as a Christian, your life is more foreordained by God than I believe we ever dreamed. And this is one of the great things about the entirety of the Bible as we study it together, as we remember as we looked at the book of Jonah, that God had already prepared the hearts of the people of Nineveh, this great city three days across, uh, walking distance, to repent, but they needed a messenger. God told Jonah to go. Jonah didn't want to go. Remember, he got a ticket on a boat headed for Tarshish. Storm came up. They pitched him overboard because he didn't want to go. After he spent a little time in the uh, underwater Hilton, the, where the fish ralphed him out on the beach, he goes in, proclaims the message, the town repents. God's foreknowledge of all things is so important. And to realize for every one of us that you are not just happenstance, but divinely appointed in all that you do. That's what we're going to be looking at in this little book of Philemon. This story here is an interesting book. The word uh, Philemon, as we look at this, it's a book about a runaway slave. The slave's name was Onesimus. The owner's name was Philemon. Evidently, Philemon stole some money as he ran away. There was estimated in the Roman Empire in those days, there was about 60 million slaves in those days. And so we find now this runaway slave, and it just so happens as Onesimus runs away, he crosses paths with the Apostle Paul and becomes born again. Well, now, all of a sudden, we begin to realize some things that there is a lot of friction, evidently, between Philemon and Onesimus, this runaway slave that probably, from what we gather, stole some things from him. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, as we would look at this book we would call Getting It Right, we just ask you that you would help us get it right in our lives as well. For we know, Lord, there's many different things in our life that cause friction. And we know that you put us in this life, not by happenstance, but by divine appointment. And so now as we read your word, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. And once again, God, draw us closer to you and cause every one of us that are called by your name to realize that our footsteps are divinely ordered by you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The book starts off, and again, it's the shortest book in the New Testament. And yet, again, it contains all the things about true Christianity. I really love this. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Now, one of the things we look at here is Paul doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of the Roman government. He wrote this from prison in Rome. But yet Paul realized that God still had a greater hand than man's hand in his life. And he said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not of the Rome. And I, I, again, I believe that we always need to look at every one of our circumstances through the light of Christ rather than the, you might say, after the flesh. Why is that? Because if you look at things after the flesh, that's all you're going to see. You look at things after the Spirit, you're going to see another dimension of our life that has God's hand prints, his fingerprints all over it. And so, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Timothy, our brother, again, so important, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Now, um, I like this, our beloved brother. He writes this because he knew Philemon. He had started a church there, and so we find now he's writing this, and he calls him a friend. Uh, I I like that Paul uh, was very endearing. He had a lot of authority, but yet he chose to still be one of the people, one of the boys, you might say, and that was really important. Fellow labor. Now, by the way, this word labor would call us to think about work. Now, a lot of times in the Christian world, and we as Christians, we don't seem to think that being a Christian does require work. In other words, I have to be about my daddy's business rather than my own, but if I'm about my father's business, God's going to take care of mine. And that's what I think is so important. But if there is labor involved, and Paul is not lack in, in reminding Philemon, that there is work involved. And I believe for all of us, we need to realize there's work involved in the ministry as well. To the beloved Appia, which is uh, evidently his wife, and perhaps uh, Acrippus was uh, our fellow soldier. Very many people think that this could probably be uh, his son. So you have, you have uh, Philemon, Appia, and Acrippus, his family, our fellow soldiers and to the church that is in your house. This guy was a, a good guy. Uh, Philemon loved God. He opened the doors of his house. He let the church meet within his house. Fellow brothers and sisters, the Bible says, two or more, there I am in the midst, Jesus said. So he allowed the church to meet in his home. And he starts off again, verse 3, with the Siamese twins of the Bible, grace and peace from our God, the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, without knowing the grace of God, you'll never understand the peace of God. The grace of God is God being good to you, being good to me, though we don't deserve it. And because of that, I'll then have the peace of God. So knowing the grace of God, his manifold blessing in our lives, that then gives us the peace that comes from him. Why is that important? Because if you don't, you're always going to be upset inside. I don't have enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. God will give you, give me what we need. And that then in turn brings about the peace that comes from him. 
Peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the source of the grace of God and the peace of God. Always remember, God is the source of what you need. I know a lot of times we'll go to everybody else in the world trying to get our need met rather than going to God. Now, a lot of times, sometimes people say, well, why are my prayers answered? Well, first of all, sometimes God says, wait. God's working things out. Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says yes. But if God ever says no or wait, thank God for that because he's got something better for you. He's preventing you from getting into trouble. Always know God's best is towards you. In verse 4, this is always a good verse that I love. He says, and we find it in other places, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayer. You know, it's interesting that prayer transcends miles. You can pray for somebody in California or in Hawaii or over in Russia, uh, Prayer transcends miles. It has no boundaries. And so he says, making mention of you always in my prayer and thanking God and remembering those people that were so dear to Paul's heart. You know, I do believe we can focus on the wrong things. And I think this is why it's good that we come together on Sunday morning, that we're reminded not to look at the people who have been mean to you in your Christian experience, but look at the people who have been good to you by the grace and the hand of God. I think that's so important. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love, and again, this reputation of being very graceful and very giving, and your love that he says that I hear, I've heard of you, and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. I really like that because, again, your love. Uh, we can talk about God's love, but unless it's manifested through you and me, People don't understand that. So a lot of times what they look for is to see how you love them. And so we want to always reach out to people and love them the way the Bible says. That sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now it says the sharing of your faith. This word in the Greek is the word kononia. It's used oftentimes and it speaks of a spiritual enactment by whatever it is that it describes. So in other words, if I say I love you, that would be the kononia love that's going to reach out and bless you in some way. And so this Greek word, this Kononia word is so important because, again, it's the sharing the fellowship of the saints, which is so important that your faith may become effective. By the way, friends, I want my faith to be effective. I can have a faith towards God and I can enjoy the thought of going to heaven someday, but God left you and me here so that we can be effective in other people's lives. And that's what oftentimes is missing sometimes in the church today is because I got, and I got my ticket to heaven, too bad about you. No, we want our, our faith to be effective so that we can reach out to the lost so that they can come to heaven too. And by the way, I believe that's a direct result of the Holy Spirit living in a person's life is you will have a love for the lost. You'll have a burning desire to see unsaved people get saved. 
That's one of the things I've always tried to do uh, here is uh, through the radio. I realized there was a whole lot more people than we could ever reach as a, as a, as a church in Idaho, but I, I realized that radio transcends the miles. And, and, and that, that it reaches millions of people. It punches right in to people in troubled homes, right into their bedrooms. It punches into the cars where people are, are, are desperately looking for answers. And so the effectiveness of the gospel goes forth because we have a love for the lost. We could spend all of our focus of this church on ourselves, whatever blesses us, But that's not really what God said that we need to do. We need to spend our focus on a big lost world. And it doesn't matter whether there's five people or 10 people or a million people in a church. That should be the focus of every Christian is the lost and dying world. That's why we're not immediately raptured when we accept Christ as our Savior. We're left here for his purpose to be about daddy's business. And always remember who your God is. He's your daddy. He's not an unknowable, a God that must be appeased out there by burning incense and doing all kinds of religious stuff. He's a daddy in heaven that says, come to me, I love you. Some of you might say, well, I didn't have a very good earthly father. I got good news for you. You got a father in heaven who really does love you. And that's one of the greatest things. And for all of you that are dads, pattern your lifestyle after your father in heaven who always hears, always listens, doesn't just give us whatever we want whenever we demand it. Daddy, I want to have, a, I want to have razor blades. No, you don't play with razor blades yet. We have a daddy that will, loves us enough to say no, but a daddy that loves us enough to be involved in every aspect of our life. I think that is so important. And so the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Now, this is where the New Age movement ends this verse. Read it again. Every good thing which is in you. But the rest of the verse says, in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's no good thing dwells in the flesh. But when Jesus Christ lives inside of you, there is the source of all good things. The New Age movement, the, the, the God of this world says, oh no, the good that is within all of us. Well, the good that's within all of us is only to stroke a person's ego. True goodness and true righteousness goes to glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, who gets the glory in what you do? You know, somebody comes up to you. I, re- I remember talking to a friend one time, and he said, uh, he said, you know, at the end of the day, people have sometimes will comment saying, oh, thank you for what you did for me, and thank you for He says, I just say, you thank God. He's the, he's the source of what you see that's good. Sometimes on the radio, I always try, when everybody says, oh, I just love your radio show, or I love that, I just say, thank God. Because no good thing dwells in the flesh. We want to be about our Father's business. We want to be a vessel in which God pours through. And when we're not, we repent, we move on. So important. Notice he says in verse 7, We have great joy and consolation in your love 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And by the way, the word here is bowels instead of the word heart. And this is some of the weirdest thing. You'll find this several times in this chapter. Why does it use that word? It sounds like some kind of a gash girl disorder. (laughs) My bowels have been refreshed by you. Guys, don't say that to a girl on a date. It just doesn't, doesn't flow real well. The word bowels comes from the Greek understanding of life. They believe the greatest emotion you could ever have comes out of your tummy. Now, you say, how is that? Well, have you ever laughed so hard that your stomach ached and you're begging the person that's making you laugh, stop because you can hardly catch a breath of air? Have you ever been in love and had your lover crush your heart and it feels like a million ton fist has hit you in the stomach? That's why Paul uses this word, stomach or bowels, because that was the truest, deepest emotion an individual could experience. That's why you find that here. Now, we today use the word heart, but heart actually doesn't, because I haven't laughed so hard my heart hurts. I've laughed so hard my stomach's hurt. You can have a lot of emotions, but he was saying this was the source of all of it. And so deep down, he says, Because of the way you are, your joy, your consolation, your your helping others and blessing others, we've been refreshed by you. He's really doing something really important here, and I believe Jesus did this as well in Revelations chapters 2 and 3. Paul did it to the Corinthians. I think this is always a good thing. The first seven verses deal with Philemon being an individual and how God was using him. The rest of the letter deals with what Paul wants Philemon to do. The first part of the seven churches, when Jesus addresses the church, I know your works, I know you have this, I know you do that. But he says, but then I have this against you. Friends, that's always a good way to address somebody that is not doing what you want them to do. If you're a boss, I think this is a good way to address your employees. If you're a mom or a dad, this is a good way to address your children. If all you ever say to your kids is you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong, and wah, 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 like a Charlie Brown movie, you know. Well, you're just going to beat them down. You're not acknowledging anything right that they have done. Jesus said, I know your works. You hate this. You love this. You do this. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. See, the thing is, Jesus acknowledges what they did right and then addresses what they're doing wrong. Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, you'll find in 1 Corinthians, he addresses them as brethren. He wants them to know he's on their side, but I have this against you. Now we find Paul writing to Philemon saying, you've done this, our, our, you, you, your, your grace, your joy has, has, has been a consolation for all of us. We're all blessed by you, brother. But now he gets in to the heart of the message. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, 
Yet for love's sake, I would rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I could tell you, I could say, look, buddy, as a Christian, this is what you've got to do. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you what you need to understand. So rather than by compulsion or by law or by guilt, you're going to do what you're supposed to do by love. That's a big difference. In other words, he's pointing out, when he says the aged, they estimate Paul to be somewhere between 50 and 60 years old at this particular point in his life. And so he says, therefore, I could be bold and command you to do this, but I'm not going to do that. Rather, I would have you consider me and consider what I'm saying to you, that you would come to the conclusion on your own. Isn't that a lot better? Ain't that a lot better when you come to the conclusion on your own rather than somebody telling you what to do? I went through this a lot when I was in my early teen years. My dad would tell me to do something. I would do it his way, but I really didn't want to do it his way. But then sometimes I'd do it my way only to have the whole thing unravel before my very eyes. It's a lot better to listen to somebody else. You realize, hey, you know, they've lived a long time. They might just have learned something living on this planet. You go, wow, I didn't have any idea that would do that. I've shared this before, but I remember a friend of mine. He had a big barn. And his, and his dad told him to go in and wet down the dirt so it wasn't so dusty when the horses would come in. And he said that he was, was wetting down the dirt. And he said as his dad went out the door, he said, whatever you do, don't spray the water on the light bulb. And so he said, I remember kind of getting the water, and he says, every time I'd kind of flip the water up a little bit higher, a little bit higher, until finally the cold water hit the hot light bulb and pop! Glass came raining down. His dad came in and saw no lights on in the barn. He knew exactly what his son has done, and he looked at him and said, you squirted the light bulb, didn't you? Well, there was no denying it. The glass is gone. No light anymore. You see, he realized that what his dad was saying was true. His punishment was he had to get up on the ladder and change the light bulb. He said that was a very scary experience. Notice he says, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you being a one as Paul, the aged, and now a fellow prisoner, also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you, For my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Not by random happenstance, but divine appointment. He says, I have begotten him while in my chains. A runaway slave stole some money. His paths crossed with Paul. Paul led him to Christ and his life changed. Friends, again, if we don't believe that God can change people. God can change you. You might say, well, I love God, but I don't really like who I am. I got some great news for you here today. God is the master changer. He can fix that. And he will. He can make you something different than you are. Thanks for joining us on It's Time. 
as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.